0: steeler fans welcome to the behind the Steel curtain family of podcast it's time once again to go back in time with the steelers retro show my name is brian anthony davis alongside me is tony defio tony how excited are you to go back to a steelers super bowl
1: i am very excited i I, this is one of my favorite uh times as a sports fan and i cannot wait to talk about this
0: time and this game with you i really can't wait either tony now Dallas Cowboy Week is coming up, so let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys and one of the most famous games that the Steelers played in recent history. It's Super Bowl Thirty. The Steelers were thirteen point underdogs going into this game. They had some special players this year, Tony, didn't they?
1: It sure did. Neil O'Donnell, uh, Greg Lloyd, Rob Woodson, Carnell Lake, LeVon Kirkland, Devontae Dawson, the future Hall of Famer. It was it was a
0: it was a very very really, really special team on and on and on one of my favorite teams of all time as well that 1995 team a lot of people look at this team as the team they grew up with and it was a special time because it was 16 years removed from their last super bowl that victory in Super Bowl XIV, and it was 10 years before their next trip to the Super Bowl in Super Bowl Forty. But a very special game. I can't wait to talk to you about it, Tony. We're going back to January 28th of 1996. It was a time when One Sweet Day was number one on the music charts. That was Mariah Carey and Boyz II Men. Boris Becker won his very last singles title at the Australian Open on this very day. And the number one movie at the box office was Mr. Holland's Opus. But we're talking more about Mr. Cower's Opus here, <laughs> Super Bowl 30. It was a special season in 1995. The Steelers had another opportunity, and they made it this time around. Tony, what were your thoughts going into this game?
1: I was just very excited because they had, you mentioned the year before losing the AFC championship game to the Chargers. I was such a heartbreaker and the pirates had had a lot of, gave me a lot of heartbreak in the early nineties. So I was just so excited that they were there. This, this is what I dreamed about all throughout the eighties, watching some, some of those teams struggle. So to finally see them get there, I was ecstatic.
0: It was a special time for me as well. I was actually in a play, a dinner theater play, called death by chocolate that weekend. And I was with a lot of theater people that did not embrace my excitement for football. And I was the lead in this play. And I came out for the curtain call the very night before this game on Saturday night, I came out and brought out a terrible towel swinging around. They yelled at me for that. But as you would hear on my other shows, I've had some great run-ins in the theater department uh, where they didn't really grasp my creativity. Nonetheless, I was so pumped for this game. I was invited to a couple Super Bowl parties here. One with an amazing spread, but it was held by a very close friend of mine named Jimmy, who was such a big Dallas Cowboys fan. He named his son (laughs) Dallas Landry. That's how much of a great fan he was. If you're ever in Elkins, West Virginia, stop by Jimbo's place. Fantastic guy. But I was at, I was welcomed to his house. In fact, I was at his house for the AFC championship game. And he and another buddy threw champagne on my head and it that burned the eyes. It felt so good. But I was also invited to another party with a fantastic spread, all these friends, all these people. But I wanted to watch this game by myself in my apartment and take it all in. Tony, what about you? I was, uh, I was.
1: I felt the same way. I wanted, to, I wanted to watch it at home. I watched so many games at home with my family growing up and I wanted to watch this. I watched it with my grandmother and my uncle Tony, who uh, who has since passed on and, and my grandmother too. And I remember my, my grandfather passed on a year, year or so before that. And I remember my grandmother saying, I wish your Pat was here to see this. I mean, because he was obviously a big fan too. So I wanted to be at home with my family. And uh, after the AFC Championship game, you were talking about that. That was the only time in my life that I went outside. I just learned how to drive and I went, I got my uncle's car, drove around the neighborhood, beeping at people. And I remember this one African-American guy walking his dog looking at me like I was nuts. Like, what is this idiot doing? But I was just so excited they were in this game.
0: Absolutely. So let's get to this game. The Cowboys started playing games in pregame warmups by making the Steelers wait, by coming out late. They were playing games. It was a power play. I thought it was Bush League. I know you did as well, Tony. You know, they started right away. Troy Aikman started launching the ball all over the place. Carnell Lake actually nearly picked off the very first pass of the game by Troy Aikman, but it fell incomplete. But on the next play, the triplets heated up with a 20 yarder from Aikman to Irvin, a 23 yard dash by Emmett Smith. Then Lake broke up another pass on the drive and the Steelers stopped Williams on an end around. That's Kevin Williams forcing a crisp bonial field goal with only 2:55 elapsed. It was three, nothing Dallas. Tony, Just like that, they ran down the field and kicked a field goal. I was feeling weird at this point. Yeah, the
1: Cowboys' physical dominance was pretty apparent on this drive. Uh, The Cowboys' offensive line outweighed the Steelers defensive line by a ton they averaged about 330 to 350 depending on who you believe per, per lineman and they pushed everybody around including Greg Lloyd who was trying to take left tackle uh, Larry Allen on one-on-one it just didn't work out it yeah it felt pretty uh, pretty ominous at that point
0: point. and it felt bad too when Neil O'Donnell and the Steelers came out and had a three and out just like that they did not seem ready it was a Ron Stark punt And on the next drive, that Cowboys Mammoth offensive line that you just mentioned, they were pushing everybody around and they paved the way for Aikman to throw the ball deep to Deion Sanders, who was well-covered by Willie Williams at the time. What happened here, Tony?
1: He was covered. It was was great coverage by Willie Williams, who had a a great year filling in for Rod Woodson along with Carnell Lake. And the, the only problem in this play as he jumped a little bit too soon and barely missed an interception and primetime pulled it in at the 14-yard line and, and set up the Dallas uh, Cowboys to uh, take a, a double-digit lead.
0: And they did, just like that, with 5.23 left in the first. Aikman hits Jay Novacek once again. Now, there was an illegal pick on this play. Paul McGuire is yelling in the NBC broadcast booth, illegal, illegal, but it didn't matter. It was now 10-0, that really cost the Steelers four crucial points because that was a third down play, and it would have been another bonial field goal attempt. Tony, what happened on this play?
1: Uh, Jerry Osaski was, was, was picked off. He was the one who was who was tasked with covering Jane Novacek on this play, and and, and he might have been in in, in he might have been in prime position to, to to knock the pass away, but unfortunately, uh, he he got he got picked off, and, and Novacek
0: was wide open for a ten nothing lead. Kendall Watkins was the guy with the infraction on that play. The Steelers would get the ball back, go no huddle, but they continued their struggles once again. They got down to fourth and inches, brought Cordell Stewart in, and he moved the chains for the Steelers at the Pittsburgh 49. The Steelers got another first down this time from number 14 to Andre Hastings, but a sweaty ball from Dermottie Dawson sailed over O'Donnell's head for a loss of 13. The momentum was gone. They had to punt as the quarter would run out with Pittsburgh Steel trailing ten nothing. What happened on that bad snap by Dermani? He was repeating history. I was at I was at a preseason game in '89 when Chuck
1: Noll finally decided to incorporate the shotgun into into his offense. He hadn't done that for, for his entire career coaching the Steelers, and 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 that ball, the very first one in Steelers history, went sailing over Bobby Brister, who was a quarterback in that game, and, and he did the same thing in this game, and it killed it, it killed. The momentum because it looked like the Steelers were, were in uh, great
0: shape to at least uh, score kick a field goal and they didn't and that Dallas juggernaut offense was on the field once again the Steelers defense was playing tougher they got the Cowboys to fourth and inches once again and the Cowboys said hey you can do it we can do it too and we've got a moose moose Johnston was able to pound away for the first down on the very next play, Aikman went up top to Michael Irvin, the future Hall of Famer, for a 24-yard touchdown. It looks like it's 17 nothing, but it wasn't, was it? It was not.
1: Michael Irvin, who was uh, who was known to uh, to take some liberties, but with, with defensive backs trying to cover him, he he knew that uh, Cornell Lake, who was covering him on this play, was in prime position to at least knock the ball away, maybe even pick it off. And he, he grabbed him by the, by the back of the neck, pu- pushed him down, and, and, and caught the ball. But even he knew that that, that was an offensive pass interference, and, and that play was wiped out.
0: Thank goodness it was wiped out. It looked like Carnell Lake could have taken that ball all the way, to for an interception and a pick six. But it was not to be. The Steelers thought they had another break after the next drive failed in a three and out when Ron Stark punted the ball away and it bounced off a Dallas defender and the Steelers had recovered. The Cowboys were threatening again after that play, but LaVon Kirkland, who was all over the place in this game, he had a big stop of Emmett Smith and he forced a Chris Bonio field goal from 35 yards out with 6.05 remaining in the half, Tony, it was 13-0 Dallas. The Steelers thought they had another break here after they had a three and out. Ron Stark boomed a 55-yarder that seemed to bounce off of Robert Bailey's leg and into the arms of the Steelers. But Myron Bell had pushed Bailey into the ball, giving the possession to Dallas. Unfortunately, he was, he was blocked
1: into the ball by a Steelers player. And as soon as that happens... The play is dead, and the receiving team gets the ball. I, we in my living room in my grandmother's house, we we all we all jumped for joy. But uh, the referee quickly put that to rest, and and Cowboys got the ball
0: on the ensuing drive. A massive hit by Levon Kirkland on Emmett Smith left the running back temporarily limping. He had hurt his knee. He would play the rest of the game. And Chris Oldham knocked the ball away from Michael Irvin, who appeared to be in the clear for a long score. That made the Cowboys having to punt for the very first time. It was John Jett, no relation to Joan Jett, coming in to punt the ball away. The Steelers took back the field, desperately in need of getting some points on the board before halftime. And you know, Tony, they did, didn't they? They sure did. I mean, this is this
1: was a, a crucial point in the game. They, they were getting the second half kickoff And any points
0: on this drive would have been crucial. Even though Neil O'Donnell was sacked a couple times, he dusted himself off and led the Steelers down the field. Had a lot of help from Bam Morris in this game. A lot of help from his receivers, Mm -hmm. namely Andre Hastings. Mills made an amazing play in traffic at one point to get the Steelers down deep. But at one point on this drive, the Steelers were facing a third and 20 O'Donnell found Hastings again for a a 19-and-a-half-yard gain. The Steelers brought in Cordell once again. He converted. Then, with only a half a minute left in the half, Tony, the Steelers broke through. What happened?
1: Neil O'Donnell found Yancey Thigpen, who was covered by Neon Dion. He found him on a a quick slam pass. He he couldn't have thrown the the ball any better. And and just like that, it was 13-7. And and the Cowboys, at this point in the game, who dominated – For almost two quarters, probably thought they should have been up by more than than that. For them to be only up by six, that had to be pretty
0: demoralizing for them. Momentum was such a factor in this game, especially going into halftime. The score was 13-7. to We're going to talk about that second half right after this on the Steelers Retro Show. Welcome back to the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me, Tony Defio, as we talk about the Steelers and the Cowboys, Super Bowl 30 on January 28, 1996, a very special time for both of us. Tony, did you enjoy the halftime show with Diana Ross? I sure did, because I was so excited that
1: Pittsburgh, as bad as the Steelers played in the first half, or, or as well as the Cowboys played in the first half, For them to only be down by six and getting the second half kickoff, I
0: would have enjoyed any musical genre at that point. I was so excited. So were you thinking at this time that there ain't no mountain high enough as Diana Ross escapes Sun Devil Stadium in a helicopter and the Steelers were about to get the second half kickoff, Tony? I sure did. I sure did. I, I, I might not have been thinking that before the game started,
1: but at this point, momentum was on their side and and they had so many great comebacks throughout the course of that year uh that, that was kind of kind of uh part of their their identity so i i i was pretty confident at that point the, the big bad cowboys did not scare
0: me anymore after after one half of uh football absolutely so bonial kicks the ball off no chance for return as it sails out of bounds The Steelers get the ball at the 40-yard line. They really couldn't capitalize, though. Bam Morris had a great 10-yard run and a 15-yard reception on that series, but they got to the 47-yard line, and they tried to go for it, but they got down to the 37-yard line, and instead of going for a 51-yard field goal, Bill Coward chose to punt the ball away and only netted 13 yards. Tony, I thought this was a bad decision. What were your thoughts?
1: I thought I was deflating. I thought they should have either kicked the field goal or, or tried to go for it. I mean, they, they, he went for it twice in the first half on fourth and, and short. So uh, if you're, you know, what's 13, what's 13 yards at this point in the game? I think, I think you you have to, it, it, there's no tomorrow in this game. You go for it. You, you try to get your team points, something uh, you trust your defense. You, even if you don't, if, if you miss the field goal, you trust your defense to, to get the ball back. So I think they, I think they should, he should have been more aggressive on, 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 on this occasion.
0: And he really should have, because what was going to happen next was going to be as equally deflating, if not even more. So John Jett punted the ball again, the Steelers get the ball back. And then it happens, Tony, despite his offensive line, picking up the blitz, Neil O'Donnell panicked on his own 36 yard line. He threw the ball to nobody except Larry Brown, who was awaiting at the Cowboy 36-yard line. Brown took it all the way back to the 18. It was devastating, a devastating blow. After the reception by Irvin, Smith pounded it in from the one-yard line. It did not appear that Smith got in, but the refs allowed it. It was now 20 to 7 with 632 left in the third. Oh, I can't even talk about it, Tony. What happened here? He
1: as you said, he he was he was hurried all throughout this game. He just did not trust the line to pick up the to pick up the Cowboys' uh, pass rush and, and uh, instead of waiting an extra half second, he he threw it where he thought one of his receivers should have been and instead it was Larry Brown who was covering nothing but grass and and that was a that was a a huge body blow at this point in
0: the game. Just like in the uh, video game, punch out, body blow, body blow. Exactly. And it seemed like the Steelers kept on absorbing those, but they would come back or at least try to, but it really wasn't getting much better yet. Starting their next possession at the 15 yard line. O'Donnell was sacked on first down on third and eight. Andre Hastings made a second effort to fight for a first down so the Steelers had a big first down with the Steelers on their own 46 and less than two minutes left in the first period. Bill Cower elected to run Morris three times with two yards needed for a first down. He lost that gamble and the Steelers turned the ball over on downs. It was a great opportunity for the Steelers, but they could not convert. Tony, you must have felt miserable at this point, like nothing was going to go right for your black and gold.
1: Yeah, it was, we're already late into the third quarter by this point. And, and Paul McGuire was pretty, pretty emphatic that they should have been more creative in this game. This was the year that Chan Gailey, who was a receivers coach, uh, implemented the, the four or five receiver set. And this would have been a great time for them to, to, to go to go to that instead of trying to, to just uh, bludgeon
0: uh, the Cowboys with, with Bam Morris three straight times. And it was a chance now for the Cowboys to put the game away, but the Steelers defense definitely came to play. Greg Lloyd almost intercepted a pass on second down from Troy Aikman. Then Rod Woodson making his triumphant return from that devastating week one knee injury against the Detroit lions that kept him out for the entire year. This was his first game back and he had a big knockdown of a ball headed towards Michael Irvin So the Cowboys had to face another John Jett punt starting from the 20 and following a completion for a first down to Ernie Mills and a four yard run by Bam Morris. The third quarter ended Tony and it looked like the Steelers who were still down 20 to seven were trying to claw their way back to start the fourth quarter. The Steelers had the ball on their own 35 and were looking for more Bam reeled off a 12 yard run and then the Steelers got lucky. How lucky did they get here, Tony? Oh,
1: uh, Ernie Mills fumbled after after making a great catch, and, and it looked like the Cowboys were poised to recover it because it, it was all all uh, white and silver at that point. But out of nowhere came Mark Bruner, who was the only stealer in, in the area, and he, he pounced on the ball to, to keep
0: the Steelers' drive alive. Yes, they did. Scott Case really pounded him on that play. He was all over the place for the Cowboys as well as the ball popped free, but they got lucky. And then O'Donnell said, All right, guys, it's time for me to start heating up. He kept finding guys like Bam Morris, Andre Hastings, Yancy Thigpen, Ernie Mills, John L. Williams, and then he was sacked by Charles Haley, which it seemed like he was sacked so much in that game. He was only sacked four times in this game, twice by Haley and twice by Chad Hennings, but it seemed like a million to me. Instead of a touchdown, Norm Johnson connected on a 46-yard field goal to make the score 20 to 10. But the Cowboys were about to get the ball back. But were they, Tony?
1: They were not because they were about to get hit in the in the mouth with Phil Cowers, maybe the most famous call of his career when he called the surprise onside that Dion figures would recover at the Steelers 47 to give the Steelers to keep the Steelers uh,
0: dreams alive. It was amazing to watch the highlights on that because he was such a young, energetic guy. He was going crazy. He was uh, going after the line judge during the commercial saying, great call, wasn't it? That was a great onside call, wasn't it? He's like, yeah, great call, coach. He's like, go away. I can't talk to you. The guys in the broadcast booth, um, Enberg, who, Dick Enberg, who I absolutely love, um, Phil Sims and Paul McGuire knew all about this because apparently Bill Cowher told him, yeah, we're going to do this in the game. (laughs) But it was a surprise to everybody else. Dion figures. He covers that ball. The Steelers have amazing life. they got to capitalize on it, Tony. Time was running
1: out. They were still down by 10 points at this this point in the game. And and maybe three points weren't
0: going to be enough. A, a, A touchdown was critical at this point. O'Donnell was sacked again, but he dusted himself off and connected on two straight passes to Hastings, The next play was a pass to the right side of the field to Ernie Mills, and it may have been one of the most devastating plays of Super Bowl Thirty. Just nobody realized it at the time. Mills caught his eighth ball from his quarterback, but he got cracked by Larry Brown, and his knee was twisted underneath. Tony, he would end up tearing his ACL. How devastating was this for the Steelers? Well, uh,
1: Ernie Mills was was uh, very clutch for them th- throughout the playoffs and in the Super Bowl and, and and his departure would would lead to Corey Holiday coming in and Corey Holiday was nearly not nearly as experienced as him and this would come back to haunt them when they were uh,
0: much later in the game How many receptions did Corey Holiday have in the regular season Tony Zero zero is correct and that is the wrong answer for the Steelers you know God bless Corey Holiday I'm not busting on him but He was not ready for primetime in this game. O'Donnell would rely on guys like Yancey Thigpen to get to the Cowboy 5. Then Bam Morris had a few chances again. On his first run, he got it down to the two-yard line. Then he got it down to the one-foot line. Then John L. Williams paved the way for Bam Morris to walk right in. How were you feeling as you saw him sashay into the end zone?
1: Oh, I was feeling as good as I had felt ever in my life as a Steelers fan. I, I could not believe with 636 left, they were only down by three points, especially the way this uh, game started. So I wanted a great game. I wanted the Steelers win, of course, but I wanted to, I, I wanted it to be a great competitive
0: game. And it certainly was by this point. And Bam Morris was a guy who had a really good Super Bowl as well. He was running really well. He was such a big man. And when he got going, he was knocking people around and gaining lots of yards. After Johnson kicked it away, Troy Aikman led his white, silver, and blue Cowboys back onto the field, starting from their 12. And the Steelers' defense was ready again. This was going to be the sixth straight drive that the Cowboys could hardly muster any yards whatsoever on the five previous drives. They only got 41 yards on third down. It's Levon Kirkland bursting through the Cowboys line. And what happened? Tony
1: got, he, he knocked Troy Evgeny seemingly five yards back. And then he he got up and, and pointed at him, like saying, this is our time
0: now. And, and he, the Steelers had all the momentum in the world by this point. And it seemed like they did. Four fifteen remaining. The Steelers needed a touchdown to take the lead, a field goal to tie it. They were finally back in the game. But Tony, disaster struck on the second play of that drive when Neil O'Donnell goes back to pass, and he found the wrong guy again. What happened? Oh yeah,
1: it was deja vu all over again. He found he found Larry Brown, uh, who was covering nothing but grass again. Uh, this is this is this is where uh, the, the Ernie Mills injury comes, comes into play because Corey holiday ran, ran the wrong route. Instead of st- staying in, he ran downfield and, and O'Donnell threw it to where he thought it would be. And, and instead it was Larry Brown and he returned it all the way down to the Steelers six.
0: This was less of an egregious of an interception as the first one was, but this was still a bad play by O'Donnell exactly. he panicked here. And it cost them because the Steelers picked up the blitz both times and both times, he threw the ball in the direction of Larry Brown. So after that, John L. Williams knocks him down at the six-yard line. It was a big return. The Steelers' sideline is yelling, hold them to a field goal. Hold them to a field goal. Could they hold them to a field goal, Tony?
1: They could not. Uh, Edmund Smith took it in. Uh, speaking of deja vu, he took it in and uh, gave made the score 27-17 and pretty much
0: dashed the Steelers' dreams at that point. Yeah, they did. I mean, it's 27-17. They get the ball back with 3.43 left, but, you know, back in 1996, that's hardly any time at all. They, uh, They took two minutes off the clock on a fourth down play with a couple guys wide open. O'Donnell was hurried, threw the ball towards John L. Williams. It fell incomplete. That was pretty much the game. Cowboys would try to run out the clock. They ended up having to punt with 14 seconds left, but it was all over. But the crying at this point, Tony, oh, I was devastated, but I actually felt really good about my Pittsburgh Steelers in this game.
1: Yeah. I mean, after years of, of dominance by the NFC in the Super Bowl, uh, the Steelers were, were 13, 13 and a half point fair uh, underdogs in this game. And for them to make it a game and, and, it kind of felt like the end of Rocky one when Rocky had uh, Apollo on the ropes as the bell rang. It's kind of how you felt about this game. You felt like if there was another quarter to go, they would, uh, they, they would have prevailed, but it just wasn't meant to be. I, I taped this game on, on uh, VHS and I wrote, uh, wasn't what, what could have been on, on the, on the uh, cover. That's, that's, that's how I felt about
0: this game. It was one of those games that really cemented my Pittsburgh Steeler fanhood and my love for William Laird Cower. As he's walking off the field, hugging his late wife now, Kay Cower, God bless her soul, and his daughter Megan, he looks at them and says, "Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose." Trying to almost hold back tears, mm-hmm. I get choked up every time I hear him say that. The fans are saying, "Good season, Bill." As he runs into the uh, tunnel, yeah, absolutely. It was it was a special time in my life. It was at that point it was it was the most
1: fun I, I had ever had watching any team do anything in in. in- in pittsburgh sports and uh you mentioned that that scene with with his wife and his daughter megan and they, they would pay that off 10 years later when he would greet he, he as, as he said my my four girls at, at the end of super bowl 40 and they all did the high five so they kind of they kind of paid that off 10 years later um all older and and, and, and all realizing how important this was for, for their husband
0: and their dad absolutely so uh tony The Steelers lost this game, and this is the first game that we've done on the retro show that the Steelers lost. They're not all going to be perfect, but this is a very memorable game and one that really, really shaped the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I think it shaped that Super Bowl Forty win 10 years later. So I got to tell you, this is a game that, even though it's bittersweet for me, it's a special game, Tony.
1: Absolutely, and any time... A team makes it to the Super Bowl—that's a special year. Yeah, it—it it, it sucks that they when you, when you lose, but but you know you, you uh, if you can make it that far, it, it's a testament to the uh, just a, spe- a great season that you had. And, and they were three three and four at one point in that in that season. And for them to rebound the way they did, and and recover and get those extra three yards that everybody wanted them to get from the previous AFC Championship game and make it all the way to the Super
0: Bowl—it's something that I'll never forget. And it's my favorite non-Super Bowl winning season. I've got a few of them. 97 is one of them. 2002 is one of them. 1984 and 1989 are definitely one of them. But this is my absolute favorite. You know, you're not always going to win the Super Bowl. The best teams, the Steelers and the Patriots have only won it six times each out of 55 times so that's how special it is just to be in the Super Bowl, like you said, Tony. So thanks so much for going through this game with me. I know it was tough at some point, but it really could have been special. It just wasn't to be like you said.
1: Absolutely, but, but it, it was, it was a, again, it was, a, it was a great,
0: exciting year and, and, and it's something I'll never forget. For Tony DeFio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. This was the Steeler Retro Show. We will be back next week with another fantastic Steeler game from yesteryear. But until then, fans, be good to each other and remember the great times of Steelers past.